Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, you guys. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here on the podcast every single Wednesday, as well as upload the video version onto YouTube on Wednesdays as well, and you are not going to want to miss it. Now, As you guys can tell by the title of today's case, we are dealing with a wild one. This truly is a case that's going to shock you every step of the way, as I know it did for me while I was doing my research on it, and I'm very interested to hear what you guys have to say about this case. So with that being said, today we are talking about the solved murder of Josh Wetzler. So let's jump right on into it. Josh Wetzler was born in Naples, Italy in 1977. Both of his parents were in the military, so he spent a lot of his time traveling and moving around. His family never really stayed in one place for very long. When his family left Italy, they then moved to California, where Josh's dad finished up school, and after he graduated, the family moved to New Orleans before ultimately moving and settling down in Virginia. Josh is described as a well-rounded, good, all-American kid. Once he got into high school, it's when he started developing and discovering different passions of his, one of which was music, and his favorite band was actually the Grateful Dead. Now, Josh and his friends were such big fans of the Grateful Dead that they would actually follow the band around across the country while they were on tour, and it was while doing this that Josh met a woman who would become his fiance named Stacy Carter in 1999. The two met in Washington, D.C. when Stacy was doing some cross-country traveling and heard about a party that was happening one night, and Josh was also invited to this same party, and the two immediately hit it off. The relationship between John and Stacy was described as love at first sight. They both had a lot of similar interests, and two years into their relationship, they decided that they were going to take the next step, and they ended up purchasing 11 acres of land in Davie County, North Carolina. After purchasing this land, the plan was that Josh and Stacy were going to begin a farrier business together. Now, if you do not know what this is, because I know that I didn't as well, farrier specializes in the hoof care of horses and donkeys and such. So they were planning on starting a business in that, and they were very excited for the future. They ended up getting engaged in 2004, and they had their first child, a boy, shortly afterwards. Now, unfortunately, with expenses coming in from a new business and a new child, the two definitely fell into some financial hardships, which trickled over into their personal relationship, and they did end up separating. Now, while trying to navigate what this next phase of life was going to look like between Josh and Stacy, Josh did move out of the home. However, Stacy allowed him to stay on the property in a trailer. Now, the only contingency here was that Josh was going to have to pay the mortgage payment. So as long as he kept up with the mortgage payments, he was allowed to stay on the property. They both 
both thought that this was a great resolution because this meant that they would both be able to split custody of their son and they would both be in the same place technically. Now, one thing about Josh is that he was described as an amazing and devoted father. Whenever he got the chance to spend time with his son, he truly, truly cherished it. The two would do activities together. He loved spending time with his son. Now, like I said, the only contingency for Josh when living on the property was that he was going to have to make the mortgage payment and he agreed to do this. However, ultimately later down the line, Stacy learned that Josh was not paying this mortgage payment and that the house was actually under foreclosure. And it was at this point that Stacy claimed that she could really see Josh's mental health begin to decline. And in May of 2008, things took a turn for the worst with Josh when police arrested him after discovering that he had mushrooms delivered to his home. Now, what happened here is that Josh had ordered mushrooms that a search dog had found at the post office, and police waited to see if he would accept the delivery, which he did, and that's ultimately when the arrest took place. Now, when police arrived to Josh's trailer, they found marijuana as well, and not only that, Josh's son was in the trailer at the time of the arrest, so Josh was also charged with negligence. Police also described the living conditions of Josh's trailer as being quote-unquote absolutely horrendous and explained how there was rotten food throughout the home, there was no power or running water, and there was also evidence of mice being in the home as well. Now, because of this arrest, this is when Josh lost custody of his son. So he no longer had custody of his son, and this is when Josh's family started to notice a very deep decline in Josh's mental state. It was really the tipping point for him. Now, after his arrest, he later on was released. However, again, he had no custody of his son. And this is when Josh really started drifting away from his family. And at this point, Stacy wasn't too concerned about this because first of all, she had her son to take care of. She had to start maintaining the house again. And she just thought that Josh needed to go through whatever mindset he was in on his own. That way he could hopefully come out of it a better man and a better person. Now, naturally, because Josh started to drift away and not spend as much time with Stacy or their son, he started hanging out with a new crowd that Stacy was not familiar with, and she began to not see him as often, and then later that turned into her not seeing him at all. The last time that Stacy claimed that she saw Josh was in July of 2009, when he came over to the house one night, and her, Josh, and their son all cooked pizzas together before he left. Now, little did Stacy know that that would be the last time that she would ever see Josh again. Now, in between the time of July 2009 and early 2010, Stacy really didn't hear from Josh at all. But again, because of the circumstances, she really didn't put much thought into it. She just thought that whatever Josh was going through, he needed to get through on his own and just felt like he needed to deal with what was going on at the moment. And honestly, he needed to deal with the consequences of his own actions. So now we're at February 15th of 2010 and it was a Monday in Moxville, North Carolina. And it was on this day that Stacy walked into the police department to tell them that Josh was missing and that she hadn't seen or heard from him in over six months. Now, because of everything I just told you, Stacy just assumed that Josh was off the radar like he typically was and that he would be coming back. However, the tipping point here was when Josh's mom's birthday rolled around and Josh never reached out. Josh was very big on family. He loved his son. He loved his mom. He had a great relationship 
relationship with his mom and missing her birthday is not something that he would have typically done regardless of the circumstance. He would have always reached out to call or send a text. So for her not to hear from Josh at all was definitely when things started to ramp up a little bit. Along with that, Stacy also explained to authorities that her and Josh had a son together, and regardless of the mental state that he was going through, he wouldn't not be around his son for this long of a time. This was the longest period of time that he had ever gone without seeing his son, without reaching out, without a phone call, without anything. So those were two very solid reasons that Stacy decided to go to the authorities to report Josh missing. However, there was another reason, and it was even more frightening than Stacy could have ever imagined. Stacy told authorities that a friend of hers had reached out and told her, quote unquote, Josh is buried in Pazuzu's backyard, end quote. Now, at first, when Stacy heard this, she had no idea what to make of this. She did not know who this Pazuzu was or where he lived, but she just knew that she's being told that Josh was buried in this guy's backyard. And obviously, that caused enough concern to go to police. Now, at first, when police heard this, they really didn't know what to make of this either. However, they were happy that Stacy came forward to file this report. And so the first thing that they decided to do in the beginning of their investigation was look into social media and look into who Pazuzu was. And that is when they discovered a man named Pazuzu Algarad. Now, police initially found Pazuzu's MySpace account. And if you're an audio listener right now and not seeing pictures, let me just give you a little bit of a description. Police say that the first thing that they thought of when looking at Pazuzu's MySpace account was the Manson family. The photos that Pazuzu was posting on his MySpace account were very dark and demonic. He had a tattoo that said Satan written all across his forearm. He had tattoos on his face. He had graffiti all over the walls of his home. He had sharpened his teeth to be very pointed. And in a lot of the photos that he posted, he showed himself worshiping Satan and said things like he wanted to be a demon and wanted everyone to bow down to him and be fearful of him and what he was capable of. He had pictures of Satan all over the walls, different devil-worshipping artifacts. It was everywhere. When looking through his social media, police also saw posts where Pazuzu alluded to killing someone in his basement, which police began to wonder if that person was Josh Wetzler. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.
Now, in the beginning of this investigation, something that was difficult for police to navigate was the fact that Pazuzu and Josh lived in two separate counties. Josh lived in Davie County, which is the station that was working on his case, his missing persons investigation. And then Forsyth County was where Pazuzu lived. Now, because of this, the Davie County police contacted the Forsyth County and advised them about what was going on and brought up the name Pazuzu. Now, Pazuzu was not a new name to the Forsyth County Police. This was someone that police had heard of time and time again, because according to the Forsyth County Police, they had been tipped off multiple times about Pazuzu and had been told that Pazuzu has killed multiple people and buried them in his backyard. So because of this, the Forsyth County also had a profile on Pazuzu as well as statements from friends of his at the time. This one friend claimed that Pazuzu seemed like an atheist and a possible Satanist. However, it wasn't his entire personality. He even described Pazuzu as being charged charming and alluring. Police also learned that Pazuzu was living with his mother in a single-story residential home. Now, Pazuzu's house was known to his friends as being the place where you could go and do whatever you want whenever you wanted to. A friend actually referred to it as Never Neverland. Now, another thing that police also learned during this investigation was that Pazuzu had a girlfriend, and that girlfriend's name is Amber Birch. Amber Birch grew up in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and her friends described her as being a normal all-American girl growing up. However, her friends say that when she met Pazuzu, something changed. The two became inseparable, and Amber adopted a lot of the same ideologies and practices that Pazuzu did. Together, the two drank each other's blood and practiced different satanic rituals. Now, along with all of this, police learned that about six months prior to Josh's disappearance on August 3rd, 2009, there was a woman named Tarina Billings who went into the Forest County Police Department and said that a few weeks prior to this, her father named Alan had gone over to Pazuzu's home. And when he came back, Alan told his daughter that while he was there, he saw a dead body wrapped in a tarp. Alan told his daughter that Pazuzu went on to explain that he shot this person 10 times for being what he called a snitch. And then together, Alan and Pazuzu chopped up the body and buried it in the backyard. Now, according to his daughter, Alan was worried that he was going to be considered an accessory to murder and potentially sentenced to prison. Now, obviously, based off of this story, police wanted to speak to Alan. And when they did, they learned something a little bit different. According to Alan, he claimed that he never saw a dead body when he went to Pazuzu's house, so obviously there was some discrepancy in stories here. Now, even though he claimed he never saw the body in person, Alan did claim that Pazuzu told him that he buried someone in the backyard after shooting him 10 times. So his daughter's story is that he physically saw the body with his own eyes and was also an accessory to murder, essentially, because he was also involved in the dismemberment of that body. However, Alan is telling police that he never saw a body, but was made aware of a body in the backyard. So then based off of this, police go to speak with Pazuzu, who told police that the whole story was made up and police ended up dropping this case due to a lack of evidence. 
So now that the Davie County Police Department have all of this information, as well as Josh's missing person investigation, police arrive to Pazuzu's home on February 23rd, 2010, and they arrive with a search warrant and cadaver dogs. Now, when police get there, they realize that from the outside, this home looks very cookie cutter, so to speak. It was very normal from the outside. It's nothing out of the ordinary. However, the second that they get inside is when they realize the house of horror that they had just stepped into. Like I mentioned earlier, there was graffiti all over the walls. There was demonic artwork and posters and trash everywhere. You could not see the floor because it was covered in trash or things that were thrown around. Now, Pazuzu's mom, Cynthia, did also live in the home with him. However, police learned that she mainly kept to herself in her bedroom. And if she ever did come out of her bedroom, she was simply just going to the kitchen to grab something or she was leaving for work. However, the rest of the house was clearly taken over by Pazuzu. Now, there was also writing on the doors, different demonic or satanic chants on the walls. There was also animal carcasses laying around. This was unlike anything the police had ever seen before. Now, despite the actual state of this house of horrors, police did not find any evidence of foul play, so they were really back at square one. That was until four months into the investigation when detectives got a new lead. On June 7th, 2010, the Yadkin County Sheriff's Office receives a phone call about a man that had been shot in Yadkin Park. This man was found laying on his back near the pond, and he had about 140 in his pocket as well as his wallet and there were no signs of a struggle or any defensive wounds now because they had his wallet they also had his id and police were able to identify the man who was shot as 30 year old joseph chandler joseph had been reported missing earlier that morning now when police went to go speak with joseph's mom and tell her about her son she informed police that joseph was legally blind and while he was able to get around to places he was familiar with, it would have been very difficult, if not impossible, for Joseph to end up in Yadkin Park on his own. So she felt like he was more than likely led there with another person or lured to that specific spot. Now, the only place that Joseph frequently went to was the local convenience store. So police began there. And when they went there, they looked through the surveillance cameras. And when they did so, they were able to see that Joseph was with an another man that night and they were also able to identify that man and that man was Pazuzu. So now with another potential Pazuzu link, police go back to Pazuzu's home. Now upon arrival, Pazuzu actually invited police in to answer any questions that they had. And when asked about Joseph, Pazuzu claimed that on the night of June 6th, Pazuzu was having some people over. He was having a little party at his house and he claimed that he met Joseph at the convenience store and invited him back to his home to have some beer and to hang out. Pazuzu claims that Joseph was at his house for a short period of time before leaving with an unknown man named Pete. And after that, he had no idea what 
happened. Now, at this point, police aren't really buying Pazuzu's story, and they wanted to speak with anyone else who was at the party that could help link together what exactly happened to Joseph. Now, in doing this is when police became aware of another man named Nicholas Rizzi, who was also at Pazuzu's house the night of the party. When looking into Nicholas's cell phone records, they saw that Nicholas's phone pinged near Yadkin Park, which is where Joseph's body was found, on the same night. So they had a lot of questions. Now, police bring Nicholas in, and according to Nicholas, he claimed that both him and Pazuzu were at the park that night with Joseph. And not only that, he did confess that they were the ones who murdered him. Now, even though Nicholas said that it was him and Pazuzu who were the ones who shot Joseph, he claimed that it was all an accident. According to Nicholas, him and Pazuzu were drinking all day, and by the time that night had rolled around, Pazuzu wanted to go shooting, and Joseph joined them. When they got to the park is when Nicholas took out his 22 caliber pistol, which he claimed to be in not the best condition. It was old and janky, and apparently, according to Nicholas, when they got to the park and Nicholas pulled the gun out and cocked it back, it prompted for the gun to fire and accidentally shot Joseph, who immediately fell to the ground. Now, at this point, Nicholas claims that him and Pazuzu were panicking because it was clear that Joseph was dead. He claimed that him and Pazuzu immediately got into the car, leaving Joseph at the park, and drove back to Pazuzu's home, throwing the gun out the window on the way. Now, with this confession, police have enough to place both Pazuzu and Nicholas under arrest, and Nicholas was charged with involuntary manslaughter, to which he pled guilty for and was sentenced to 13. 13 months in prison. Now, Pazuzu claimed that he does not remember the night because he was too drunk, but regardless, he was still charged with accessory to murder and was sent for a psychiatric evaluation after concerns of not knowing if he was competent enough to stand for trial. And this is when we learned more about Pazuzu's background. Pazuzu's real name is John Lawson, and he grew up in California with his parents before they moved to North Carolina. After moving to North Carolina, his father left and his mom was now a single mother raising him and he dropped out of school after the ninth grade. After dropping out of school is when Pazuzu began dabbling in Satanism, starting with the sacrifice of animals. Now, this was around the time where he also changed his name and he chose Pazuzu because this was the name of the demon in the movie, The Exorcist. Now, after Pazuzu's psychiatric assessment, he was deemed sane and competent to stand for trial. However, that trial never ended up happening because Pazuzu entered into a plea agreement and received only five years of probation. So now Pazuzu has five years of probation, and when it came to Josh's missing persons case, this case really went cold for the next two years years. However, everything changed in 2011. In 2011, police learned that two years earlier, in 2009, Cynthia, which is Pazuzu's mom, was in her room one night when she heard a gunshot and immediately ran towards the basement of her home, which is where she heard the shot come from. When she got down the stairs and into her basement is when she saw a man named Tommy Welch hunched over in a chair 
who appeared to be dead from a gunshot. However, it wasn't Pazuzu who was holding the gun. Cynthia claimed that Pazuzu's girlfriend, Amber Birch, was the one holding the gun pointed at Tommy. Now, at first, Cynthia asked what was going on, and that is when Pazuzu came from around the corner and told his mom to get back upstairs, which she did. Now, Tommy Welch lived in Clemens and had been reported missing by his sister-in-law, Carrie Welch. On October 3rd, 2009, Carrie had a shift at work and needed someone to watch her kids. So she asked Tommy and his mom if they would be able to do so, which they agreed. However, when Carrie got home, Tommy's mom was frantic. She claimed that she had Tommy go over to their shared apartment to grab something. However, it had been several hours since he had returned home. Now, typically, the walk from Carrie's apartment to Tommy's apartment would have been about a 15 to 20 minute walk. However, like I said, it had far surpassed that point at this time, and Tommy's mom felt like she knew that something was wrong. At this point, everyone gathered their things and headed over to Tommy and his mom's apartment, and they could tell that he had been there since the door was unlocked and the stereo was playing inside. However, the one thing that was missing was Tommy, and that is when the very next day, they went and filed a missing persons report for him. Now, in the midst of the investigation for Tommy, police looked at surveillance footage of local gas stations to see if they could see Tommy walking. They were essentially just following the path that it would have taken him to get from Carrie's apartment back to his apartment. And when doing so, they were able to look at surveillance footage from a very specific gas station and saw Tommy on the footage. In the footage, they see Tommy walking towards the gas station and behind it. However, that is the last time that Tommy is ever seen. It quite simply felt like he disappeared in thin air. Now, the reason that police were made aware of Cynthia finding Tommy shot dead in her basement was because she actually reported this to police. However, they had no physical evidence that this was the case. They had no evidence to prove that Cynthia was telling the truth or that Amber shot Tommy. So because of this, the case went cold for another three years. But then in 2014, one of Pazuzu's friends finally decided to come forward. On September 26, 2014, a man named Matt Flowers, who was an army veteran stationed in Fort Willis, Washington, came forward to speak to police. Matt had kept in contact with Pazuzu over the years, and according to Matt, Pazuzu was very open about telling him that he had killed people over the years. However, Matt never really believed him. He truly just thought that Pazuzu was blowing smoke and trying to brag in a very weird way. He just never fully believed that Pazuzu was truly capable of something like that. However, Matt's feelings changed when he returned from his deployment and learned some harsh truths about his ex-girlfriend, Dixie. Now, according to Matt, his ex-girlfriend Dixie was friends with Amber, Pazuzu's girlfriend. Now, Dixie told Matt that one night she received a phone call from Amber asking Dixie if she would come over to Pazuzu's house and help them out with something. Now, Dixie claimed that when she arrived to the house and walked towards the backyard, she saw Amber standing in the backyard as well as the body of Tommy Welch laying on the ground. Amber went on to tell Dixie that she got her first kill, just like Pazuzu did. Now, Pazuzu was also standing out there at the time, and both Amber and Pazuzu told Dixie that she needed to help them by burying the body of Tommy, or else 
she was going to be next. Now, Dixie definitely believed this threat, and for good reason. She is seeing Tommy Welch's body laying on the ground. She knows what Pazuzu and Amber are capable of at this point, and so she agrees and begins to help burying Tommy. Now, Dixie then went on to tell Matt that they initially tried to put Tommy's body into a shallow grave, and the hole was too small. His legs were sticking up, and so to fix this, they ended up taking shovels and broke Tommy's legs in order to stuff them into the shallow grave that they had created. Now, Matt claims when he initially heard this, he was worried about Dixie getting in trouble and also didn't want Dixie's life to be in danger. However, after many conversations, him and Dixie both agreed that they needed to go to police and that they would both cooperate. Now, police obviously at this point wanted to speak to Dixie, so they bring her in and sit her down. And this is when Dixie gave police a 13-page statement all about the murder of Tommy, where Tommy's body was located, and luckily Dixie even took a picture that night and showed them where Tommy's body was. So now on October 5th of 2014, police go back to Pazuzu's home, and when they arrive, they go to the backyard and begin digging. And it didn't take long for them to discover the remains of two bodies. Now at the time that police found the remains of both bodies, they were strictly skeletal. However, through dental records, police were able to identify the bodies as being Tommy Welch and Josh Wetzler. So at this point, Amber Birch and Pazuzu are now arrested. At the time of their arrest, Pazuzu was 35 and Amber was 24. Pazuzu was charged with Josh's murder and Amber was charged with Tommy's murder and both were charged with one count of accessory after the fact. Now, even though a date was set for Pazuzu's trial, he never actually ended up making it to court because Pazuzu was found dead in his cell on the morning of October 28th, 2015, after committing suicide. Now, according to the autopsy, Pazuzu had used a sharp object to cut his wrists and ultimately he bled out. Now, Amber did plead guilty to multiple charges and received a sentence of 30 to 40 years. Now, when thinking about the motive here, there really was none, which is so frustrating in this case. Amber wanted to kill Tommy solely because Pazuzu had killed Josh. Now, why Pazuzu killed Josh is probably something we will never know or understand. We do know that Alan was told a story by Pazuzu about how he shot someone 10 times for being a snitch. However, we'll never really know if he was referring to Josh at that time. After the arrests, Pazuzu's house was demolished as well. And that, you guys, is the case of Josh Wetzler and of Tommy Welch, really. Now, I'm very interested to hear what you guys have to say about this case. I do think it's very frustrating to see that there had been countless times that Pazuzu had been reported. Countless times of people saying that he has people buried in his backyard. Countless times people saying that he kills people. However, nothing was really ever done about it because there wasn't enough evidence. However, clearly there was something there. So I'm very interested to hear what you guys have to say about this one. But with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Again, make sure you go ahead and the subscribe button that way you never miss an episode we post weekly here on the podcast every single wednesday and you're not going to want to miss it i'll be back next week with a brand new one for you guys and until then stay safe bye guys
Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.